0: We're back. Five weeks ago, National Public Radio announced the largest donation in its history, a cash bequest from the will of the late philanthropist Joan Kroc of about $200 million. This bequest from the widow of the founder of the McDonald's fast food chain shocked and delighted people at National Public Radio's headquarters in Washington. Here to tell us about that remarkable turn of events is someone who had a central role to play in it, Stephanie Bergsma, who is the development director for KPBS-FM in San Diego. Welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you. The news stories that I read explain that uh, Ms. Kroc had enjoyed listening to NPR through your affiliate and had been a donor previously. Can you tell us a bit how you got involved in working with Joan Kroc?
1: Um, Many years ago... When I was doing a capital campaign to raise our existing um, telecommunications center, I was introduced to her by Judith Harris and David Copley. David and his mother are the owners of the Union Tribune here. And at that time, we were hoping that she would make a major gift to the capital campaign. And she made a very small gift at that point. But we continued communicating with her and um, sending her information. And a few years later, when we were in the process of trying to equip the building, David and Judith were telling her about what was happening. And, of course, I was in communication with her. And she made a $100,000 gift to us. And then, about a year later, made a $3 million gift to KPBS. Wow. And, of course, we celebrated that. She flew Fred Rogers in and surprised us. <laughs> and Scott Simon was here. And we had a wonderful celebration in our studio. And subsequently put up a recognition piece. And so, as you come in the major the main doors from our lobby into the production facilities, the first thing you see is Joan Crock in one of her favorite pictures, and it's the Kroc Production Center, KPBS Kroc Production Center. We named our production center after her.
0: Now, I understand that she uh, she knew that she was ill uh, late in life and, and decided that uh, she was interested in the kind of reporting she'd been getting through your station from, from NPR about particularly, I guess, uh, the war in Iraq, etc., and that she, I guess, got interested in wanted to do something to help.
1: Well, we had, had an ongoing conversation with her, and in fact, Kevin met her prior to her illness, mm-hmm. and yes, that's true. She was terribly concerned about the war, and um, I think she understood what we were doing and wanted to help us uh, expand on that and understood the unique quality that we bring to, um, to radio reporting.
0: Now, you are, you are basically the person that sort of got together, I guess, the national producers of NPR with, with Joan Crock.
1: I introduced her to Kevin Close and yeah. Ken Stern and Barbara Hall, yes. They came out from Washington, D.C., and we huh. had breakfast with her at Rancho Valencia.
0: Can you tell us a bit about her? Um, she was, the, of course, the widow of, of Ray Kroc, famously built the McDonald's empire, and Ray was somewhat of a conservative supporter of Richard Nixon, as I recall.
1: Yes. Um, but Joan was an independent thinker, and, well, she was from Minnesota, and I'm from Minnesota, and so we had that in common. And she had a very tough time growing up. Her father had lost his job during the Depression, so I think she always understood what it was like to be without money and to um, to struggle. So... She had a deep affinity with people who had um, terrible times and things to overcome and understood what that was like and um, brought that to all of her giving, all of her ph- philanthropy. One of the biggest things she did in San Diego, of course, was funding the uh, Croc Salvation Army uh, Recreation Center. I mean, that's not the exact name of it, but anyway, yeah. she, this fabulous, fabulous recreation center over in um, near San Diego State, as a matter of fact, and she gave the Salvation $100 million to, to do that. Wow. It was extraordinary.
0: And I guess, too, she's been involved with the University of San Diego, a rather small school, but she wanted to endow them with a peace a peace center.
1: And Justice Center, which is one of the most beautiful p- buildings you've ever seen. And there's an incredible reflecting pound out in back and with a most amazing view of the city. It's am- when you go over there, you really feel her spirit. I mean, it's incredible.
0: Well, it must be great for all the KPBS PBS to know that you guys have really helped bring together this this philanthropic effort to help the whole national radio situation.
1: Well, it's a thrill of a lifetime when you've had a passion. I've worked for KPBS for over 20 years. But to see this happen, it's the most extraordinary thing you could ever be involved in. You can't imagine.
0: It's it's, it's a Horatio Alger story that's real.
1: It really is. It really is. I, I think the main thing that people should understand is this. If you were to know her, she was a real human being, and she wasn't that different from mo- uh, from any of us, really, except that she was given this incredible resource to work with. And fortunately... She understood public radio, and she appreciated it and knew the power of it, understood the power of it. So I think that's where the affinity came in.
0: Well, I think it's going to do some wonderful things. I think there's optimism everywhere that I've talked to people in radio or just think this, could, this, uh, this endowment could do, could do wonders. So on behalf of everyone else in radio, uh, thank you for what you've done to, bring, to make this all happen.
1: Well, you're welcome. Obviously, you're welcome. <laughs> what more can I say? It's the greatest thing I'll ever do in my life.
0: Years from now, this is going to be reverberating and doing, doing a world of good.
1: I know, and touching the lives of so many people. Yeah. It was interesting. When I was in Washington, D.C., and I would get in cabs and go back and forth to NPR in my hotel, uh-huh. all of the uh, African-American, um, Ethiopian uh, cab drivers were listening to NPR. It was unbelievable.
0: Well, as well they should be.
1: As they well should be. Yeah. But when you think about it. The broad range of people at NPR and PBS touch, it's extraordinary.
0: Well, I think if you were an Ethiopian cab driver, you would naturally gravitate toward the kind of news that, that you're going to get through, you know, BBC, and, and, and which is on a lot of NPR affiliates, and, and just because the coverage is so much better. Exactly. Well, Stephanie Bergsmith, thanks so much for talking with us. and uh,
1: Thanks. Have again, a happy holiday. Me too. Take, Take care. care. Bye.
0: Joining us now for a local and, in fact, national perspective on this event is Michael Lazar, President and General Manager of Capital Public Radio here in Sacramento, where he's been since 1996. Capital Public Radio is an independent, community-based organization, and it manages five public radio stations under contract with their licensees, four for California State University, Sacramento, and one for the University of the Pacific in Stockton. If you've been listening locally to uh, National Public Radio, and we hope that you have been, you've probably heard the efforts of Mr. Lazar's stations through KXPR, KXJZ, KXSR, KKTO in Tahoe, or in Stockton via KUOP. Mr. Lazar knows about local and national radio. He spent uh, many years working as the production and operations manager at KXCV in Missouri, where he produced over 75 pieces for NPR's All Things Considered. Michael Lazar, thanks for joining Radio Parallax. No problem. Uh, now, personally, we want to tell a little bit about the, how this really works, how Capital Public Radio and other radio stations are affiliated with NPR.
2: NPR is both a representation organization and a program supplier. They represent us before Congress and the FCC and do a lot of regulatory work. But they're also the largest producer of public radio programs. So programs like Morning Edition and All Things Considered are produced by National Public Radio, and then we purchase them from them.
0: What was the reaction at NPR? And I assume you're privy to that when this news came down about Ms. Kroc's uh, fabulous donation.
2: Oh, it was uh, an unbelievable feeling. You often hear about other bequests and other organizations that benefit from, from gifts, but you never think it happens to you or somebody you know. And here we were right in the middle of one of the largest gifts ever given to a nonprofit organization. So we were thrilled.
0: Yeah, my understanding is this is the largest donation ever to a charitable institution.
2: Uh, NPR believes it's the largest gift to an American cultural institution. I, d- I don't think they've been able to verify that, but they believe it to be true.
0: What's the thought on how this is going to impact the national public radio and local affiliates?
2: Well, fortunately, we have some time to develop that. Uh, there won't be any money coming through for about six months, so that'll give us a chance to really discuss it within the system. One thing that the public radio system has never been shy about is expressing its view. We have uh, what we sometimes refer to as ro- robust discussion, and uh, there are many different stations that have different ideas on how the money should be spent. The important thing to remember is that the actual principal probably will, will not be used. There will be between $200 and $230 million that will largely sit in endowment funds and generate interest. We expect that it will generate 10 to $12 million of interest per year. So that's roughly 10% of NPR's current budget of $100 million. That money could be used for research and development of new programs. It could be used to offset bad financial times. It could be used to reduce the fees that stations pay for programs. So there are a lot of options on the table that we'll be discussing over the next few
0: months. There was uh, some mention of concern over the fact that, uh, of course, um, National Public Radio and local affiliates depend on a lot of fundraising. And that there was some thought that this large donation might actually uh, decrease donations from other people. Is that is that a concern? Well, we
2: we hope it it won't. It's certainly a concern. Uh, uh, the the individual listeners need to understand that this is not a gift to the local member stations, that this is a gift to National Public Radio and will be used to offset some costs. But by the time you divide it up among the hundreds of stations, the impact per station is not going to be significant. A lot of the cost that we raise money for is our own local programming and the infrastructure of keeping the stations on the air, so there's very little day-to-day impact that a gift of that magnitude will give, so we still depend heavily on, uh, on the generosity of our individual listeners.
0: And speaking of that, uh, how, how can someone donate to Capital Public Radio?
2: Well, they can uh, either go online to capradio.org and make their uh, contribution on our secure server, or they can call the station and uh, make their contribution. We have a toll-free number, uh, 877-480-5900, that gets people into the station, and they can make their contribution that way.
0: Well, Michael Lazar, President and General Manager of Capital Public Radio, thanks for joining us on Radio Parallax. You're very welcome. And our last item of the day, the flu, apparently has arrived in the United States, but I must say, uh, in my Real life, I do work as a physician, and last weekend we were inundated with people with viruses. No, not the influenza virus, the regular cold virus. Um, Not to say people didn't feel plenty bad enough, but somehow this hysteria that's been generated by this idea that, oh my God, we're running out of flu vaccine, has everyone trotting off to the doctor. Well, the truth is, The flu vaccine, in the best of years, only prevents you from getting influenza, which is only a small percentage of the annual cold and, quote, flu season. So, uh, you know, for the most part, it's going to be a a virus that will make you feel bad, even if it is the flu, lay you low for a while, and the cures are going to, as always be, bed rest, fluids, aspirin, chicken soup, etc. Your doctor generally does not have a trick in his magic bag that's going to help. Um, Now, truthfully, if you feel bad enough, a little bit of cough syrup with codeine or some analgesics that are stronger than aspirin may be of value, but don't overestimate what your physician can do, please. And a lot of times spending many hours in a cold, drafty waiting room with people coughing around you is not the best choice. So please, don't panic about this, you know, lack of flu shots. This is, for the most part, a non-issue. Well, that about wraps it up for today's show. Our thanks once again go to Ted Dunning of KDVS's This Week in Science, as well as our special aviation correspondent, Vladimir Zarevika. And of course, as you just heard, Stephanie Bergsma of KPBS and Capital Public Radio's President and General Manager, Michael Lazar. Oh, and let us not forget Senator Joseph Lieberman and rocker Keith Richards. I am, as always, your host, Douglas Evert. This show is produced by Mr. Edward McMillan. We will see you again next Thursday at 5 o'clock. This has been Radio Parallax. Todd will follow, as always, so stay tuned.